0: Hey there, book fans. I interrupt this regularly scheduled podcast to tell you about some news that we have. Uh, We are actually going to be doing our first meetup at the Decatur Book Festival uh, sometime between August 31st and September 2nd when the festival is being held. Now, this isn't an official event of the Decatur Book Festival, but we wanted to have a meetup where we could meet you all in real life. So if you are interested in joining this meetup that we'll be having, follow the link in our show notes so that you can receive updates about dates and times and different things like that uh, so that you will be able to join us. So we look forward to hearing from you all. If you have any questions about it, please email us at hello at readingwomanpodcast.com and we hope to see you there. Thanks. Now back to your regularly scheduled podcast. Hello, I'm Kendra Winchester, here with Autumn Privet, and this is Reading Women, a podcast where we're reclaiming half the bookshelf, but discussing books written by or about women. And today we have for you an interview with Crystal Hana Kim, the author of If You Leave Me, out now from William Morrow. Okay, so this is one of
1: the books that I saw on a bunch of lists, but didn't really feel very strongly about,
0: truthfully, before I read it.
1: And then, oh my goodness, like, it blew me
0: away. Yeah, I, I remember you texting me that you were a total total book coma and so I had to gird up my loins and prepare myself for for a ride cuz I mean, yes. it is a longer book, but it's not like it feels like a longer book.
1: No, and that's the thing is like I read it in basically one day 414 pages of it. Um, which I think is a testament okay to how engaging the characters are and how wonderful the plot is and just how well it's plotted and just it's just really good but but we will let crystal talk about her own book so here is our interview with crystal hanakim
0: so we have here today crystal hanakim with us the author of If You Leave Me so welcome to the podcast Crystal
2: thank you so much for having me
0: we were so excited to get our hands on, on
1: this book and as we were talking a little bit a minute ago, I was in such a good book hangover after the fact. I was like, this is such a great story. So
2: we were delighted to get to read it. Thank you so much, Adam.
0: <laughs> that's
2: a great phrase, book hangover. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very handy
0: term. Mm-hmm. It is. It is. And I think that's like the, the I don't know, strength. it's the sign of a great book, you know, when you're like just trying to digest everything.
1: Mm-hmm. But this is so. This is your debut book. So, con- first of all, congratulations. Um, what has your publishing journey been like in this process?
2: Thank you. I mean, it's so wild to hear from readers right now. You know, because it's been a long journey, or it's felt long to me. I started my grad school MFA in 2011, and then I started this novel in 2014. Actually, in my last semester. I was working on a interconnected short story collection that spanned three generations and my final workshop teacher convinced me to just focus on the first generation and turn that into a novel and that's what became If You Leave Me so it's it's been a long time and I've been working on it so I started working on you know If You Leave Me in earnest in 2014 and you know now it's 2018 so it's been wonderful to start hearing from readers and getting their reactions to the book.
0: I, I love hearing stories about how authors had this plan and then they like, Oh, what if I tried it this way? And then like you kinda like figure out that puzzle mm-hmm. and then you just I don't know, I just love hearing writing processes. So yeah, that was I guess just great advice that you started on the first generation. So what Then if you're planning on doing multi-generation, what then did you change moving from just multi-generation to one generation?
2: So I, since I caught the second and third generation, I really developed a lot of the middle kind of plot points of, of if you leave me. So when I started the novel, I already knew where the novel would begin and where it would end but a lot of the middle I wasn't sure about and the ending changed somewhat as well but so I had but I had to figure out a lot of how to get from point A to point B
1: and before we get too far ahead of ourselves could you summarize if you leave me for our listeners who haven't
2: heard about it yet yeah sure so If You Leave Me is a war story, and it's a love story that really follows one Korean woman's life. Her name is Hemi Lee, and she's a 16-year-old refugee in South Korea, in Busan, during the Korean War at the beginning of the novel. And she's really smart and willful, and she really wants to have and get an education so that she can create her own life. Uh, But she's has a widowed mother and an ailing younger brother and it's the middle of the war and she just has very little access to any kind of mobility. And, uh, it starts with a love story because there are two young men that are in love with her. One of them is her best childhood friend, Kyungwon, and the other is actually Kyungwon's older, wealthier cousin. And so, she has to decide between these two men and it's set against the backdrop of the war and then her decision kind of reverberates for generations so it reverberates throughout her whole life and her and her children's lives too i was curious too about
1: well two things about the book one is like where the title came from mm-hmm. and then secondly is the cover i kn- I noticed that the cover has like a lot of different types and styles of flowers on it, so I was curious about that as well, if you could talk about those two things.
2: Yeah, sure. So the title, I wanted it to apply to as many of the characters as possible, so if you leave me is kind of a theme and also a phrase that shows up throughout the novel. So it can apply to Hemi and Kyungwon. It can apply to Hemi and Chisu, but it can also apply to Hemi and her and her brother and among other characters also. So I wanted it to have this richer meaning that the reader could try to parse out for themselves while they're reading (laughs) the cover. So, I I love this cover so much, and I'm so grateful for the art director. What happened was my editor and I were thinking about what we wanted the cover to be, and we wanted it to be somewhat abstract. So uh, we were thinking something floral, a little bit darker, but also with some vibrant colors. And so they hired a painter to paint different flowers from the novel, the, so each of the flowers here represent a relationship that Hemi has to somebody in the book. Oh, that is so cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think uh, my publisher is creating uh, like an infographic to explain a little bit more about each of the flowers. But the top right one is a pasque flower. And that's what Hemi calls her children. And the top left flower is uh, the national flower of korea so all of the flowers have a certain meaning in the book and they're all natural wildflowers from korea that is just that yes that is a beautiful story (laughs) oh my goodness i'm
0: I'm definitely gonna uh, go looking for that infographic because that is just a beautiful it's almost like you're telling the story with the cover as well which is just a great thing about design Mm -hmm. and i think now that book covers you know artists have more opportunity with all the books being published that covers are just becoming an art form and we were actually talking with lucy about how her cover is from a photo from the actual year of you know the city where her novel is set and yeah it's it's really cool that's such a
2: beautiful cover too
0: yeah so we just like to geek out about about covers uh. (laughs)
2: because Yeah, I know. I feel so grateful for this cover just because there's so much meaning in it. And I don't think the readers know yet. They might not ever know, I guess, but for me there's so much meaning in it. And like the dragonfly that represents Hemi's relationship with her brother. So it's just really lovely for me to look at it and and kind of get the story of Hemi's life just from the cover.
1: Yeah. And like And we're going to try not to give away spoilers on this episode, but one of the flowers near the bottom was the first one that I was like, wait a minute, I think this flower is on the cover, which is what got me thinking about it. And I was like,
2: hmm, what's going on here? So I had to ask. Yes, the flowers on the bottom are uh, poisonous. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Intrigue. Intrigue. get
1: the book and read for yourself
0: that's (laughs) perfect pitch there so as you mentioned like the book is set you know during the korean war so it's a historical fiction and it spans you know Mm uh hemi's life and you know you talk about her kids as well what was like your research process like when you realized that this was the time period in which you were going to set you know the majority of your novel
2: there was a lot of research that went into the writing, and I think it was more research than I anticipated. So when I chose this setting, it was because my all of my grandparents survived the Korean War, and and so the Korean War, that narrative, was a big part of my life. And I'm particularly close with my maternal grandmother because she helped to raise me when I was young. And she would tell me stories about being a teenage refugee during the Korean War. And so I always was really fascinated by the stories that she would tell me. She, would, she said that when they fled their home, they dug for roots and peeled the bark off of trees because they were so hungry and her mother was a widow. So there are some similarities with Hemi, the the main character of my book. But as I started to write, I realized that I needed to do a lot more research. So I read a lot about the history and the political context of the war. I watched movies and I watched documentaries. I... Did some formal oral interviewing of my grandmother and my aunts. So there was a lot that went into it, but it was all different types of research. It wasn't just looking, reading texts, but, uh, you know, visual and oral, oral interviews and all of that. That's
1: really fascinating because one of the things I realized as I was reading your book and this one of the reasons I got so excited about it is because I realized that I actually knew very little about the Korean War, Mm -hmm. even though I had a grandfather who was a service member in the Korean War, but it was never talked about in my family, never mentioned really. And so I was really excited to like learn more about it. And it actually made me want to read more about it and learn more about it just because I realized I knew absolutely nothing about it, unfortunately. Oh, that's so
2: that's exciting, though, that reading this made you want to learn more about it. I was actually talking to my editor because her father was also uh, in the war as a U.S. soldier, and she told me that she also knew very little about it. And the Korean War in America is actually called the nickname is uh, the Forgotten War, Mm -hmm. So it's a war that is really not talked about a lot. You know, it came in between World War II and the Vietnam War, and those two wars are heavily referenced or written about in literature, but there's not that much about the Korean War.
0: Yeah, I feel like, isn't it MASH during the Korean War? Isn't that like like the Mm -hmm. only, and it's very, you know, of the time stereotype. So I feel like that is the only, unless you have a family member that was, you know, a service person um, in the war. Like, you don't, you just don't know about it. And I think that's, like, really sad. And I was actually thinking about that when we were reading Pachinko last year, was she talks about it, like, because they're in Japan, talks about it over there. And I was like, you know, I wonder what was going on, you know, like, what would the a novel written at that time would be but you know and then I just kept reading but so I loved like when we heard about your novels one of the reasons why I was like we need to read this is because I was like (laughs) this is it I was like this is what we need to read and I was just (laughs) really thrilled I love when gaps in history are kind of filled in by novels because then that inspires you to go read you know nonfiction about it as well
2: yeah I love learning through reading novels too I think that it kind of humanizes story it humanizes uh historical events
0: definitely it's it's just definitely an art form that also educates I think as well mm-hmm. well one of the one of the things we want
1: to ask you too is or talk to you about it as well is, you know, the fact that the Korean War... I mean, Korea is in the news a lot lately. Yeah. Um, And with the Olympics and things like that, it's been more, I think, on public consciousness than normal. But as you mentioned, it's kind of glossed over in history books. Um, So, like, I guess maybe what are your thoughts on, like, why is it important, especially now that people learn more about this war? And even what you're saying about humanizing characters, because these characters were very human and, you know, really easy to relate to, almost surprisingly, in a sense, like these universal themes that you bring out in your book, which I really found moving.
2: Thank you. I think that, you know, when I started this novel, it's because I was personally interested in learning more about the Korean War and its aftermath. But then the further I got along into the writing process, and once I knew that it would be published, I got really excited about sharing the story with a wider English-reading, English-speaking audience because I knew that the Korean War is something that not a lot of people know much about. So it's kind of strange to all of a sudden see Korea in the news so much. (laughs) It's a weird, timely uh, coincidence with the Olympics and then North Korea. And it's, I think now it's so important to be able to understand the history of the Korean War and what the United States' involvement was. But I also think that, especially politically right now, there's a lot of othering in the way that we talk about people who are not American. And so I think that reading something like If You Leave Me or reading fiction about the war and and imagining what it felt like for average citizens ha- is really powerful and important for us to do.
0: I, I love that you say that uh, because one of the early books that my mom handed me was a book about a Japanese girl during World War II. And, you know, she survived when America bombed Japan. And I, the first time ever for me as a kid realizing like what it was like not to be American during, during a war. Right. I love that you, Talk about that because I think it's definitely important that we try to put, you know, ourselves in other people's shoes. I'm trying, to, I'll try to phrase this without giving spoilers. <laughs> but I appreciate how your story you tackle the mental toll that war takes on people who survive it. It's not just that this war ends; it's that there are a lot of repercussions after the war, including uh, things like PTSD, depression, and other types of mental health. So, wh- why do you think it is that a lot of times when we write about war, we focus on during the war rather than the actual ramifications of a war, which are like, you know, the decades afterwards when, you know, survivors are dealing with their mental health of living through something like that, um, the different economic struggles that people go through. Um, And what about that did you want to communicate to your readers as you were writing the story?
2: I think that, yeah, I think a lot of war literature that I've read focuses on soldiers in battle. And I'm not sure why that is, but I think that I mean, that's what seems exciting or seems like there's a lot of plot, right? When we see soldiers fighting or it becomes gruesome and someone dies, that stuff seems perhaps more interesting. Or maybe that's just what we've gotten used to expecting from war literature. But I was really interested in not in exploring what it would be, feel like to be a woman during this time, and also just the role of women during war, because they still, they experience the violence, perhaps from afar, but they, you know, there's a mental toll on them as well. And I think that that's not talked about in in literature enough. So I wanted to show Hemi and what it would be like to be a woman during this time, what it would be like to... Not have money and be a refugee, and also feel fear of your own safety since you are a woman. Mm -hmm. And I also, I'm really interested in the psychological effects of any kind of event, right? I like to write more about what happens afterwards and and why characters act a certain way, rather than the you know the gruesome act of war. And so I really wanted to explore how does something as devastating as as hunger and poverty and violence affect different characters. And so there are lots of different narrators in here. There's five and three main narrators, Hemi, Jisoo, and Kyungwan. And since they all have different experiences in the war, I wanted to be able to track the kind of psychological toll the war had on them and how it's different for all three of them and yet they're all affected by the war. The
1: voices of the characters was something that I really really liked Um, and I really loved Hemi like she was an amazingly nuanced character which we don't I mean I think what you said is true like that we don't see war from a woman's perspective very often or it's usually like some sort of romantic soldiers interest on the side or something weird like that yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I really loved her and her voice in particular and I really love too, like how and I I'm I don't know how you did this I feel like it's magical like how their voices changed like I felt like the experiences they actually went through changed their voices which That's, oh yay changed. I'm glad you think that <laughs> yeah um so like even, like, following – and we're not going to give spoilers – but, like, following him to, like, her life and her choices that she had to make, I really felt, like, the despair and how, like, she didn't have many options, which is surprising because it's, like, the 1960s, which we would think, you know, as modern people, oh, 60s, that's, you know, lots of choices, <laughs> like, right. women's liberation and stuff. But okay. she really didn't have that.
2: Yeah, so in Korea, my – You know, my mom told me the story of how, so my mom did not explain the Korean War, she was born right afterwards, but she told me about growing up and she remembers very clearly when she was in elementary school and her family, her parents got a flushing toilet. So I think that, when in America, we think 1960s and we, we have a very different view of what life is like compared to what it was in Korea in the 50s and 60s because it really was a a poor country back then. And in the 1950s, women did not have a lot of choices and there were a lot of constrictions put on them socially. And so I wanted to explore that through Hemi. And I'm so excited that you said that you think the voices changed because I really did try to do that because in the beginning, Hemi's 16. And so, of course, the way she thinks about the world and, and acts is going to be different from, when, from later on in the novel when she's a mother and she's aged. So I try to do that in as natural way as possible, and I try to show how... The despair, like you said, could really take a toll on somebody and their view of the world.
0: That's really beautiful and the subtlety that you put in that and yeah, I I was thinking as you were talking, I was thinking about when we view women in war, we view them as like the women waiting on the shores, waiting for men to come home and different things and we just don't get that nuanced perspective or they're just viewed as victims rather than survivors. Mm -hmm. And so just seeing her and her choices and just trying to deal with, trying to make choices and trying to live her life. And then, you know, uh, she doesn't always make the choices that she would prefer to make. And so she feels disappointment. And like Autumn said, that was just really... Beautiful to see in that change. One of the things that I really enjoy about a book um, is its structure. That's um, one of my favorite things to see. And so it's well, true. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, I'm always like, "Did you see the structure, Autumn?" And she's like, "Oh, I'm like, no, um, <laughs> what's the structure." So I really, I really enjoyed your structure and how you know each chapter is narrated by a different person, and then they like take place like roughly like two years apart from each other so you have like you're almost like getting another snapshot forward in this story so I guess my question is is where did that uh, structure come from and how did you decide that that was the approach that you were going to
2: take to this novel I wanted to start with the war but I also wanted to follow the characters well into their 20s and 30s, because I wanted to kind of examine what the effect of the war had on these three main characters. So I knew I needed to cover a wide range of time, and I thought that if I did this type of structure where it advances about every two years, Every chapter, then you could kind of get a snapshot of how quickly Korea is changing, also, as well as how the characters are changing. I did play around with whether or not I would do just one chapter, you know, one chapter is 1950, and the next chapter would just go forward one year. But then I think it, it felt too bulky. I wrote up a timeline of all of the major events in- that happened in Korea. I thought about which characters would um, react to those political events and how they would. And then I try to map it that way so that while learning about the characters, you're also learning about the Korean history.
0: I love that. (laughs) uh, I just love that. I'm just going to sit here and, and just geek out to myself a little bit. Uh, I can feel you I know I know I try to keep it together but I just like ooze it over the airwaves you know
1: (laughs) yeah the changes is a thing that's like really kind of shocking in the book because you get about 200 pages in and you realize that it's kind of a different Korea as you mentioned and one of those big changes which was a fascinating theme was like city living versus country living Mm Mm-hmm you know when some characters move to the city and some stay in a more rural area and so there's this kind of discussion about which is better or you know at different stages like if it's better to stay or to go yeah. um, which i thought was it re- showed the contrast as well um but really affected the plot but it's even like made me think about how much how much where they decided to live affected the outcome of those characters for Yeah. lack of not Saying spoilers, (laughs) yeah, struggle is real. (laughs) What does that say about the changes, or how much did that affect the outcome of these characters, or would it have made a difference if Jisoo and his family had moved to the city?
2: So after the war, Korea changed so much, and after the war, millions of people started going into the city or into Seoul to try to get jobs. And so I wanted to reflect that kind of migration and the change that happened in Korea where the focus moved from agriculture to industrial work through my characters. And I also think it's always really interesting to see how different someone's life can be just depending on where they live. So I'm not sure if Hemi and Jisoo and Kyungwon would be different if they lived in the city or in, you know, a rural area or vice versa. But I try to follow them to their inevitable end or inevitable, you know, their life choices. And I thought that would be really interesting for the reader to just examine what would my life be like if I lived in the city during this time or if I lived in a rural area during this time.
1: Kendra and I actually both grew up in more rural rural areas. So we often have the discussion about like how would our lives have been different if we'd grown up in a city. And now I live in a city, like I live in Atlanta. And so I see all the opportunities other people have that I didn't have because I grew up in a rural area. So um,
0: I was excited to see that as a theme as well. Yeah. yeah. So one of the things that we talked about a little bit earlier was uh, women during the war. And one of the interesting things about this book is you, you talk about country versus city living which is almost like a universal theme you see throughout literature but also uh, we have women and the dynamics between men and women and how women are you know it seems almost across all cultures that women are held to a higher standards especially like morally and you know usually regarding sexually um, and so why do you think that this is such a a universal theme from your perspective. Could Hemi have escaped it, do you think? And I don't want to give any spoilers, but she makes particular choices uh, regarding this theme. Um, And do you think that her daughters have a better chance or is life a little bit different for them now that they're a generation removed from the
2: war? So I'm always fascinated by gender expectations and the social constructs that that we put on women in society. And I think that this is such a common trope in literature because but women have <laughs> been marginalized throughout history. And they are in Korea during this time most definitely seen as secondary to men. And so I wanted Hemi to be this really strong willful, stubborn woman who's trying to push against those boundaries, but at the same time, she's also a product of her time, and I wanted it to feel realistic. So I needed her to be pushing against the boundaries, but also trying to survive within the society that has made her. I'm hopeful that for her daughters, with each new generation, there is there there are more choices for them, right? Or more choices for women. So in my mind, the daughters do have a more liberal and open future ahead of them. I
1: loved the tension though, too, of like, there's this one passage that I actually took a picture of the page because I want to remember it where Hemi's talking about how she kind of understands her mom. Like she reaches a point or an age where she like realizes that she understands her mom maybe yeah. a little bit better than she did in the past. So there's that side of it, and then on the other side, Soli, is that how you say it? Yeah, Soli. Okay, so how she, when her dad asks her, like, what do you, essentially, I'm paraphrasing, but, like, what do you want to be when you grow up? Mm -hmm. She says, I want to be a mother, which is, like, the expected, like, she says that because she knows that's what's expected of her. So even that tension of, like, the past and how, sure, we may understand it a little bit better, but that tension of, like can you escape it was really interesting to me to think about. Yeah. And it brings that empathy that we've been talking about as well, like humanizing these people.
2: Yes. And I, I've, I'm always fascinated by women and mother and daughter relationships and sexuality, all of that. So I wanted to explore that as much as possible through Hemi. And I think that you know, as a young girl, even I didn't understand my mother in some ways. And But as you grow older, you understand the choices that your parents have to make. And so I wanted to explore how Hemi's relationship with her own mother would change over time. And I wanted to do that also with Hemi's daughter and Hemi. I think that generation and family are just such interesting topics that... You know, you'll never know the answers to, but it's worth exploring.
1: I think so. I loved
2: it. (laughs) That's that's my thing, so I was really excited. Autumn's review. I loved
0: it. Just put it on all the covers (laughs) now. You see autumn permit. I loved it. I loved it. It was great. Um, but yeah, I I agree. I definitely I mean obviously we're card reading women, so we love books about women and topics about gender and different things. And I was listening to a podcast the other day and they were reading, like they're talking about the wife by Meg Walton. And they're like, is this question about gender and writing and books and whatever still relevant? And I'm like, do you live in like an urban bubble? Like (laughs) what is going on here? And so I loved how you also included that topic of gender and how it intersects with rural and urban life as well. And just, you pulled Mm -hmm. that all together. Yeah, we just we just loved it. So we're just going to tell everyone to go read it now. <laughs>
1: yeah, we're all about yes. strong
0: female voices. Like, sign yeah. us up. <laughs> yeah.
1: Thank
0: you. Speaking of, you know, strong female voices, we always love to ask the authors that are on the podcast, what are some of your favorite female authors? Or maybe what have you been reading recently? Um, just basically whoever you want us to tell, go forth and read. Please, please recommend <laughs>
2: Uh, Well, okay. I'll, I'll answer both. I love, I mean, you know, the ones that I love are probably more expected, but Toni Morrison, love her. I love the language. I love how she writes what she wants to read and has not found out there. And I love Louise Erdrich and Deborah Eisenberg, Jasmine Ward. You were talking about Pachinko. I love Min Jin Lee's work but also i want to shout out some recent fiction that i've been reading and i know that you already interviewed lucy tan but i read her mm-hmm. promised recently and was just fell in love with those characters i also read julia fines book what should we what should be wild i don't know if you guys have heard of it but it's really interesting it's all about women and it's a kind of a retelling It's kind of like a modern fairy tale, but it's also exploring the women's body. It was fascinating and very weird, which I loved. (laughs) I love um, Julie Bunton. Have you guys read Marlena? Yes. That was a book that I read last year and loved so much. And also, you know, it was about two young girls and, you know, two very fierce young women. Uh, and then some new books that are coming out that I was lucky enough to get galleys for. I love Ingrid Roja Contreras' Fruit of the Drunken Tree. We yeah. were just talking yes, about that. We were <laughs> always
0: all over that. She's like, please, this one.
2: <laughs> so good. Yes. So good. And also about two very complex young, uh, young gar- girls are at the center of that novel. R.O. Kwan's The Incendiaries was mm-hmm. really, really good and fascinating. So those are some some names that I think that people should read.
1: <laughs> I would say 99.9% of those are our favorites. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> P cosine, all yeah. things. And then we also like to ask, too, and authors sometimes don't want to reply because they don't want to jinx it, and that's fine. But is there anything that you're working on right now that you would like to maybe tease for our listeners?
2: Yeah, well, I've been writing a lot of essays, actually, and so I've been writing some craft essays for poets and writers, and then I just finished an essay this morning about the way that we use, uh, about the language of beauty and monoliths, which is uh, the kind of eyelids that I have without creases, so I just wrote an essay about that, which I really enjoyed writing. And then I'm also working on a novel project, but it's so new and I have been so busy that I have not been able to work on it since April. So I won't talk about that, but I am working on a second novel. Well, that's great to hear. Cool. cool.
1: We'll, we'll definitely be looking for your essays. Oh
0: yeah, thank
1: you.
0: We love essays too. We love all the things. <laughs> we just love books. That's why we're here. We're here just to gush we about do. all the things, <laughs> yeah. provide support. We'll be your cheerleader. We're cool with that. Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Yeah, so we really loved reading your book and it's been a delight to talk to you about it. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast today to share more about it with us. Thank
2: you so much, Autumn and Kendra. This was lovely.
1: So that was such a fun interview. And oh my goodness, can you believe the secrets that are
0: in the cover? I, I did not see that. I'm not going to lie. Like, I was one of those oblivious readers that she was talking about, so I'm so glad that she did this. And if I can find the infograph, I will link it in our show notes. But otherwise, keep an eye out on William Morrow's social media pages because I'm sure it will be everywhere as soon as the book comes yeah, out. Yeah, and that is just so cool. And can you believe this is her debut novel? Like I know. I just keep trying to wrap my brain around that, and it's just, my brain's melting. I, I get-
1: I can't. That's why I said she must have written it with like fairy dust or something because I know I couldn't have done as
0: well for sure. We get a lot of comments about how enthusiastic we are, but I've got to tell you, when you read books like this, it's like, I don't care that I'm gushing about this book. Just, yes. I'm going to go hand this book into everyone's hands and be like, go read well, this.
1: <laughs> and truthfully, yeah. So the enthusiasm you hear on this podcast is genuine, it is Very not much so. fake. We, When we love a book, we can't not talk about it.
0: So anyway. It's very true. We are nothing if not very genuine about our love of of these books. So that being said, you definitely need to go check out this book. That's our show. Uh we would like to thank uh, Crystal Hanakim for talking to us about If You Leave Me, which is out now from William Morrow, so definitely go check it out. You can find her website at crystalhanakim.com and on social media at k and we will have both her website and her social media links uh, in the show notes.
1: And definitely go check out her essays as well. I'm going to be adding those to my reading list. And as for us, you can find Reading Women on social media at The Reading Women. You can find Kendra at KD Winchester and me at Autumn Privet. Thank you all so much for listening. If you like this podcast, please drop us a review in your favorite podcatcher. Not only do we love reading your feedback and your comments, but it really helps other readers find this podcast as well and hear more great interviews like this. So we would really appreciate it.
2: And thank you all so much for listening.